The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, <coughs> Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey, and this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Little Jesus and little John look so cute together. If you've ever walked through any of the great museums of the world, the great art museums, you'll surely, by the time you get to the Renaissance section, you'll find a plethora of paintings by some of the great artists of history of little baby Jesus and little baby John, maybe about a year, year and a half old, and they're sitting together and they're pudgy and they've got pink cheeks and, and in some of the paintings they're completely naked like little kids are supposed to be and in others John will have on already a little itty bitty version of his camel skin and Jesus will have a little red wrap around him and, and sometimes Jesus is offering to John a little scallop shell of water to resignify his coming role as the Baptist and usually John is pointing to little baby Jesus with a little sign that says, Ecce Agnus Dei, Behold the Lamb of God. It's, it's so cute, just little baby Jesus and little baby John together. It's just lovely. Well, Mark is having none of it. Mark in his gospel, his telling of the story of Jesus could care less about little baby John and little baby Jesus. It's not important to him in the least. He begins his gospel with John already as a very big person. Well, big in the sense of he's already a grown adult. Small in the sense that he must surely be extremely gaunt because he's living out in the desert. 
He's eating nothing but grasshoppers and maybe a little bit of honey. He's been out there now for a long time. He surely smells terrible. His hair is a mess. And that, that camel skin robe that he's wearing, my God, it's never been washed. <laughs> this is the guy that Mark focuses on. There's nothing sweet or gentle or delicate or cute about the man at all. To the contrary, he's kind of fearsome because he's really pretty wild. He's tough and he's rough and he doesn't have the, the sheen of society about him. He doesn't know how to behave with, with the big shots and the nice people and the good people of society. Instead, out in that desert, he is ranting and raving like a crazy man. And the thing is, of course, he's not crazy at all. This startling and frightening and in some ways fearsome figure out in the desert who is screaming at the top of his lungs about God coming and God being ready to make his big move and salvation finally coming to Israel. Well, he's pretty scary actually. But think about the world he's living in. You know, first century Palestine, it was no picnic. At the top level you had the Romans. You know, they were just the latest of some world superpower had overcome little Israel and now ran the place. And they were not nice people. You know, they were tough and they were oppressive and they were very mean. And if they even got a whiff of revolution, you know, up on the cross you go to die like a dog. It was an awful kind of life because they were not free. They couldn't do and be the people they really wanted to be because the Romans controlled everything. And then the next level down, you have the kings and the tetrarchs of Israel. These are supposedly the inheritors of the throne of David. Yet the Herods, they're just terrible people. You know, they're vain, and they lie, and they cheat, and they steal, and they use their power for their own benefit and their own glory. You know, they're everything we hate about powerful oligarchs who run things and care nothing about the people underneath them. They just take and take and take and take, and they'll do anything, anything, to protect their position at the top of the heap. And... Then John grew up in a priestly family, so he knows plenty about the priests in the temple, the high priests and the low priests and over the priests in between. You know, these people who are supposed to be the interlocutors of God in this world, these people who are supposed to be the ones who offer to the Lord the holy sacrifices. Well, they're almost as corrupt as the Herods are. You know, they're lost their spirit. They've made themselves so important as God's representatives on earth that they've become little gods themselves. And against all these things, all these things, John rails like a crazy man out in the desert, wild and fierce and filled with passion that is pretty scary really. But what happens? 
the people come to him in droves. Well, not the Romans, not the Herods, and probably not most of the priests of the temple. But the regular people. The people who feel themselves like we've been contaminated ourselves by this awful stuff that happens at the top. Because of their lying and their telling of fibs and their cheating and their greed and their vanity. It's like we become mean and we become vain and we become saturated with their evil. And we don't like it. And we want to be cleansed of it. We want something fresh and new in our lives. And so out to the desert they go to be washed clean by John and the Jordan River. To let that stuff go. And John says to them, yes, let it go. You don't have to have your lives determined by the evil of those people who run the show at the top. Don't follow their example. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be greedy. You don't have to be vain and vicious. To the contrary, by becoming the kind of people God wants you to be, by becoming people of truth, people of humility, people of love in all of its forms, you transform things. The changes start here at the bottom in the desert, in the river, and they go up the chain. And you fight against the greed by not being greedy, by being generous. You fight against the vanity by being humble. You fight against the idolatry by being deeply in love with God. And building your life on his foundation, not on the false foundations of money and power and greed and whatever else. That's who John is out in that desert. He's a wild man. He's crazy. He's a prophet without any filters. And when it comes to his standing in society, he doesn't care at all. He will take on Herod. He'll take on the Romans. He'll take on the high priests just as quickly as he gives, deeply as he can. But when it comes to God, he knows his standing well. He knows that he is preparing the way of someone who will come after him. That God is ready to act. God's decisive deed on behalf of his people, is now ready to come. God is finally ready to save his people. And it is his ministry of prophecy, of speaking truth to power, of calling the Herods and the Romans and the, uh, the high priests to account for their lives, of bringing solace and compassion and love and hope to the little people who go out into the desert to be baptized by him. This is how you prepare the way of the Lord who comes. And that's why this man out in the desert is the one who begins the Gospel of Mark. No cherub, no cute little baby, nothing sweet about him at all. He calls his people to repentance and renewal to prepare the way of the Lord. <clears throat> So that was, that was John's desert, first century Palestine. 
not just physical desert, but the desert of his society. The desert of a society that is overwhelmed by oppression, and murder, and mayhem, and untruth, and evil, and greed, viciousness, vileness. And what about our own desert? Well, we've got one too, obviously. When we look around us, look at our world, look at how things are going, it's not a very pretty picture. It's a desert out there. There is plenty of lying. There's plenty of non-truth. There's plenty of vileness. There's plenty of vanity and greed. There's plenty of everything that John faced in his time and our time as well. And so his words to the people of Israel, his crazed prophecy, his calling on them to change their hearts, to repent, to prepare the way of the Lord by letting go of that garbage is as deep and as true and as important today as it ever was in his time. John's call from that desert of Israel to our own desert is one that is meant to make us change our ways and to say the greedy people at the top, the awful people at the top with their vanity and their vileness, the people who cheat and steal and murder, the people who do anything to stay on top, the people who are always and only thinking of making themselves ever more wealthy at the expense of everyone else. That is not who we are, John tells us as well. And if we're going to change this world, we have to change from this level, from the bottom up. And he calls us, just as he called the people of his own time, out into his desert, out to his river, to have our sins washed clean, to have us be free of that garbage that rules our society and our world in these our own times. And maybe most of all, John reassures us just as he reassured the people of his time that indeed God is ready to act. God is decisive when it comes to fixing this world. God sends to us a Savior as real and as living and as deeply true as he did back in Jesus' time. Because it's the same Jesus. And maybe most of all, John reassures us that God is near. And that even in the face of the most awful evil, God does not abandon us. God's always calling us to make new his way. To build that road to his kingdom. To lower the mountains and raise the valleys. So that we too in our time can know against all the evidence of all the evil that abounds in our world. That God is near. And God saves. And God who is love accompanies us in our way.